about to introduce another good gift, and it's a guy named Richie Porter. And see, the Bible says this. It says in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, you see at just the right time that we have a God of perfect timing, all right? You see at just the right time, at just the right time when we were still powerless, right? At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly in his perfect timing, Right? And man, sometimes God just sends people into your life and then he sends someone that takes your faith to a level you never knew it would be. Someone that will encourage you to go places you never would have went on your own. God sends someone into your life that, that, that moves you to places and, and he doesn't even know he does it. And, um, and that man who's about to speak to us today, his name's Richie Porter. And, uh, and not only is his time imperfect coming into my life, um, but it came perfect because he rescued us on I-16 and got my son, Bear, to the hospital seeing just the right time, right? God makes no mistakes. And so I'm very excited, and uh, I know you'll be blessed today. He's a man full of God and full of faith, and, uh, and I'm excited to hear what he has to share to us. Would you guys welcome Richie Porter? If you know me well, you'll, that's very hilarious. And let me tell you why. We'll go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. They're about verse 22 or so. You can put your finger there. We'll come back to it. Uh, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm uh, born and bred. Right here in Dublin, Georgia, raised all my life. Uh, spent just a little bit of time uh, off at school, but uh, for the most part, everything has been centered right here. Um, I got saved when I was 19. I come out of a lot of um, just rebellious stuff, the, the whole drug scene, uh, everything that comes with being a, being a wild teenager. I tried to live everything that I could um, over the right, the right time come around, and God saved me out of that, brought me into where I needed to be at just the right time. Uh, restored my family, restored everything that I needed. We, my wife and I, we had a child together, and uh, he, he used the salvation, the, the passion for Jesus, to the, my love for God to start restoring a lot of things in the marriage and uh, in the relationship, because that was, a, that was for, for another time, another story, but... Uh, we come out of a lot of stuff, a lot of rich, hard, trial, tribulation, heavy fire. And um, it was just good. It was a good, wonderful thing that God was doing. And he was restoring love in me through his love for me. And I was able to see love from the perspective of the way he sees love. And it, which is completely different than the way we distort it a lot of times. Um, but through that, uh, I immediately, I'd say probably within eight months or so, six to eight months, I, was, I started preaching. And I started ministering, and I was hungry for the Word of God. Uh, I soaked in the Word of God. I loved the Word of God. I read, and that was all. I cut myself off from everything else. I turned off TV. I turned off uh, any kind of entertainment. It was all about fasting, prayer, and reading of the Word. It was just a soaking in God. And uh, through, that, through that period of time, I just started 
developing this hunger for God, hunger for God, hunger for God. And people saw that, and they, they said, hey, you should, you should preach. Got me on stage, got me preaching, got me talking about it, and it was good. It was a good thing. I was able to share. I was able to express the Word of God that was soaking inside of me. It was developing. It was stirring. It was growing. It was manifesting, and I was speaking the life of God, the love of God that I know that God had put in me. Now, as time went on, uh, my love started to shift because what happens in ministry um, is this is like a drug a lot of times, especially for people like me who, who always lived in a uh, uh, a need to please people, a need for uh, affirmation. So this can be a drug, standing on stage in front of people and uh, being able to, to just share from your heart. And what's really dangerous, uh, and I'll share this scripture. You don't have to turn here. I'll just share this scripture. I think you guys have it, and I told you I would do this. I would be going back and forth. Um, Ezekiel chapter 33, 31, and this is the way uh, this is the way I define the way uh, the ministry became. And it says that so they, they come to you as a people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they love to show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them, listen to this, you are to them a very lovely song as one who has a pleasant voice and can play well an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. Uh, that's what it become to me. I, people would come up and they'd you know, slap you on the back because the ministry style then, I, I was in a Pentecostal church, and I, if you ever go to a Pentecostal church, the style's a lot different, okay? I'll just go ahead and tell you, it's a lot different. You don't get this. You get something completely different. But the style and the, the ministry was like a very lovely song. It was like a very wonderful instrument that I could play very well. And I was gifted in being able to present the song, present the instrument in a way that people liked it. And I liked it. I liked that they liked it. So as I started pursuing God with one hand, I also pursued affirmation with another hand. And half of my eye was on God and half of my eye was on people. A desire for people. And anytime you ever split that difference, one will begin to attract more than the other. And what happened is my, my shift started more and more looking toward the affirmation from folks. And needing that, needing that if, a, if a sermon didn't go well, I was upset. If a sermon went well, I was happy and prideful and boastful about it. I was excited. Not in a good way. So my passion for Jesus, my passion for the Lord started to just dim. And my passion and, and love for ministry kept growing. So as I'm praying and as I'm seeking God and I'm asking him for things, I'm saying, God, show me this, show me that, show me that. I didn't realize how deep this thing was so weaved into me that I was actually praying and asking God for godly things, for ministry things for me, not for him. Because I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted the glory of God to descend down on the people. I wanted the anointing of God to be on me. I wanted the fire of God to disrupt hearts, to come in and move, see people change. But the reason I wanted that 
was so I could take a little bit for myself. Okay? You follow me? Now, what happens when, when we do that is we're asking God for one thing. We're desiring another, but God's going to reward his word. That's it. So God was taking the word of God, and he was taking what was disruptive in my heart, and he started moving it around to where he started actually doing what I was asking him to do. And I was in my room one day, and this is a little bit weird, but this is just what happened. I'm in my room, and I'm praying, and I'm worshiping God. God, let your glory come down. God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory like Moses saw your glory. And I'm praying that over and over. I'm just, I'm getting intense with it. I'm seeking God. I'm wanting God, more of the glory of God. Well, about this time, the mood in the room began to shift. And I lost that fervency, that fire, that passion. And I began to feel this fear, this ultimate fear. And it was a godly fear. Because the presence of God started to come. And what I was asking for, he started to give. And it was not what I expected. The godly fear began to come in that room. And the presence of God was so strong that I, all I could do was push my face into the floor. I was scared to death. And then I had this image, this vision of, of being in front of people. Not like this, but I'm talking, I'm talking like an like a African revival kind of thing. I'm talking like thousands and millions of people out over. And I'm standing on this stage, and I'm looking out over all these people. And God says, this is the best you can have in this life. And I'll be honest with you, for some of you, you might be like, oh, that's not too bad. It's not too shabby. That's pretty good. But what he was telling me was, no. In that moment, I'm sitting there, and I saw all that spread out, all that ministry, all that success, everything that I desired in myself, and it all become rubbish. It all crumbled right in front of me. And I could see the end of my life being a failure from that moment. Because I was pursuing something that had nothing to do with what God was desiring me to pursue. And then he speaks to me these words that if you're around me for five minutes, you're going to hear these words. Because this is just the, this is just the scripture that, that when God puts something in you, you can't let it go. And there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible, but there is one that I know he changed me with. And it was just these words that I may know him that I may know him. And that become everything. That become everything to me. My obsession changed. I pulled away. I took some time off from ministry just to kind of collect myself. And I, I just needed to back off. So we went through a period of time and I just, I didn't do any ministry. I, I didn't do anything. Uh, it was probably two years or so uh, Once I entered back into that scene, I started ministering. I started getting back into it. And God started really changing a lot of things of how I, how I did things, how I preached, how I taught, how I ministered, how I prayed, how I sought after him, how I read the Bible. Everything just shifted. And the, going through the fire and going through this process was, was continual, and I realized that I wasn't at the end of it, but that he was taking me through something. 
And what I realized what he was doing was that he was, he was increasing in my life and I was decreasing. The, the part of me that I wanted in life, what I desired, was, was diminishing. And the Spirit of God, the love of God, the passion, the pursuit, the pure passion, the pure pursuit that I may know him, the knowledge of God, to, the, to see him for who he is, to experience him, the very thing he created you for. That's why he designed you. That's what he created. That's what he, he built everything for that purpose. He came and died on the cross for that purpose, to, to, to draw us into relationship, to draw us into a knowing him. In the story, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Of course not, because it's a process. I got back into ministry, did it for several years. Uh, I hungered and thirst for a lot of stuff. It wasn't the same. I didn't desire people anymore. I didn't desire that affirmation anymore, but, but I still wanted something. I still wanted to see God move. I wanted to see this, 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 this vision that he had, and... Uh, God, God gave Abraham Isaac, right? He gave, but long before Isaac, there was the promise. And the promise was, I'm going to give you a child, and that child's going to be seed that's going to cover like sand on a seashore. It's going to cover the earth. That's what he expressed. And God gave me a vision. God gave me a desire for, that I saw something. I saw that something he wanted to do. That he wanted to do right here in Dublin. He wanted to do it right here under my nose. And he wanted, to, he wanted to change cities. He wanted to change people. And he wanted to change the way we did ministry. He wanted to change everything. And I could see it so clearly. And what God did with that is the very first thing that I had to do with that child once I actually, actually started to form, just like with Abraham. And he, and he had Isaac. And he's got Isaac on his hip. And he's like, this is cool. I'm walking in it. I am walking in what God has called me to do. I've got my seed by my side. I am living the dream. The promise is here, and I am living it. And then the first thing he does is he says, hey, I want you to take him, and I want you to kill your son. I want you to use him as a sacrifice. Now, listen, we got to be real. I'm not Abraham. I'm just not. Abraham, uh, Abraham had it, but I didn't have it. So when he come to me and asked me basically that same question, all right, here you go, it's time to lay it down. It's time to put the knife to it. It's done. Man, listen, that broke me. And I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind when he had to lay Isaac on that altar and he lifted that knife above his head and said, it's over. But Abraham, because of his faith, because of his passion, because of his desire for the one, not for the promise, because the same one who promised him is the same one who's telling him. So it didn't matter about anything else. All it mattered about was the one. He had his eyes on God. He had his eyes on the, the, the promiser, not the promise. And it shifted his priorities. It shifted the way he thought. So he was able to do that. He was able to lay it on the altar, lay, Abraham, lay Isaac there, and lift the knife up. And then God stopped him. Because he knew his heart. With me, 
not quite so successful. <laughs> so guess what? Just like the children of Israel, because they couldn't enter in because of their lack of what? Faith. Take a lap. Just like Coach used to tell folks, take a lap. That's what he told Richie. Take a lap. So here I go, one more time through the wilderness. So I'm trucking back again, and I'm going back through it again, going through the fire. So this is what my life looks like. This is what, this is what I'm designed to do, is to, is to be a broken mess, to be, to, be a, to be somebody who's just put into the fire and pulled back out and shaped. And about the time he gets me shaped, and I'm thinking, finally, I'm, I'm shaped. Just to, Uh-oh, here we go, one more time into the fire. John chapter 3. You was wondering if we get here, right? I was too. Having doubts. Verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was so much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose a dispute between some of, the, some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, behold, he baptizes, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride, talking of the church, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, which is Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine, the joy of mine is fulfilled. Listen to this. He must increase and I must decrease. Now, what Jesus described John as was a burning and shining lamp and that nobody else ministered like he did. He was a prophet of the prophets. He called him the greatest of prophets. A burning, shining lamp. His ministry was so good, so well put together that there were still people after Jesus was healing the sick, casting out demons, raising people from the dead, there were still people following John. You follow me? Go back to Ezekiel. They're listening to, to the man when Jesus is on the scene. And what John's trying to tell them is, says, listen, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. The bride belongs to Christ. The people you're saying are leaving me to go to him Take note is what he's telling them. Take note because I don't have anything. But let me tell you what excites me is what John said. Let me tell you what excites me is when I hear the voice of Jesus, when I hear the voice of the bridegroom. Because when the voice of the Lord, when ministers and preachers care more about the word of God and the love of God and the power of God that flows through them as a minister of a word and not as a friend of the bride, 
Listen, don't cheat on, don't cheat, <laughs> don't cheat with the bride, okay? Let me tell you something. Nothing will upset the Lord more. His, he is jealous. He is a jealous burning flame. Is what the Bible says, that he is a, a consuming fire, a jealous God. Who is he jealous for? For you. And if you're a leader, if you're a preacher, if you're a, if, whatever plate position, and this is just for the leaders, okay? Just let me just, everybody else just stand by. I'm bringing, bringing something for the leaders. If you ever try to take a little bit for him like I did, for yourself, he is a jealous God. He don't like it. Uh, you husbands in here, how many, how many husbands in here would like to share your wife in any form or fashion? No, sir. I will, I will cut your throat real quick. And I mean that in the most literal sense, okay? I'm jealous, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm fine with it. Uh, society, oh, a jealous husband. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm good with it. She's jealous for me. Believe me, ladies. <laughs> Just telling you, she'll cut your throat just for even thinking about it, okay? Same way. We are jealous for each other. Jealous for each other. God is jealous for you. And he burns, and I think you can see this burning in John, this burning in John. He says, listen, I've got to, I've got to see Jesus increase, and I've got to decrease in this thing. This isn't about me. This isn't about my ministry. This isn't about my, me as an individual. This is all about him. And if you watch John's life, where does he start out? He starts out where people were flocking to John. But where does he end up? In prison. Yeah, ultimately with his head cut off. Exactly. That was plot twist, right? How does a man who's so on fire for God, a burning flame of God, end up like that? He was good with it. I guarantee he was good with it. You look at these disciples, you look at these apostles, you look at these guys who sought and burned for God, who desired to go after God, what did they, what did they experience? Loss. They experienced things. Let's go to Philippians right quick. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Let's start with verse 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. We'll give you just a second. This is, what, this is what I was alluding to earlier. There is no amount of, of increase in Jesus. If you want more of God and you are desperately seeking God, God, give me more, give me more, give me more, there will be less on the back end of you. He will not increase himself without chipping away at you. You hear me? This is what Paul says in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's bragging a little bit. He's, he's, he, let me lay it out for you. Circumcised on the eighth day, which is a good thing for those who don't know Jewish history. That's a good thing. A stock of Israel... And the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, which was top-notch church people during that time. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church, which is a top-notch thing for church people during that time. 
concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He followed the law. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I have counted all things loss for the excellence of what? The knowledge of Christ. To experience God. To experience the love of Jesus. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It don't mean anything. Looking back, once the increase begins, and you're, you may look at it now, you're like, I don't know if I want to pursue God. He's talking about losing stuff. Once the increase begins, you'll count that stuff that he's taken away as rubbish. It's not going to mean nothing to you anyway. What he's given you is far, far better. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through Christ. Faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his. Are you with me? Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection. There's an ebb and flow in this walk. And just stand by on this verse. We're coming right back to it. We're, there's an ebb and flow. There's a, there's a plus and minus. There's a positive and negative. Where, uh, uh, where's the, the, the scientist physics guys? You got your Newton's law. You got your opposite and equal reactions. You got these two opposite forces. Everything that goes in is also going to come out. Where there is loss, there is power. Where there is sufferings, there is knowledge. This ebb and flow, he doesn't just say we're going to suffer. He doesn't just say you're going to have power. You're going to have the balance of the two. The, the, the level of degree that you walk in the presence of God and the anointing of God and the love of God will also come with a great amount of level of suffering and fire and fervency. And that's a good thing. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. Listen, you're not in this thing by yourself. I told somebody the other day, I said, you're not just pursuing him. He's pursuing you. He is he is jealously pursuing you like a fire, like a flame. He is pursuing you. He wants to lay hold of you just as much as you want to lay hold of him. I, 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 I'll be honest, y'all are getting the better part of me right now because I was a broken mess a while ago. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to even be able to preach. This was, this was just like five minutes ago. He, he, he's holding me together right now. This will probably all come apart later, but... He, my, my inside was breaking because I was just seeking God and asking God for something this morning. And, and I just remember him speaking that to me of, I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. 
And when he said that, it's just as, just as clear, I just broke. And, and my son, my oldest son, he, uh, he was back there praying with us before the thing, and he, he looked at me, I looked at him, and listen, I'm, I'm just one of those guys that just don't, I just don't cry. I just don't like to cry. I'm very emotional, don't get me wrong. I'm extremely emotional, but I just believe that I'm a man's man, don't cry. But let me tell you something, that ain't God. I'll go ahead and tell you. God will break you of that. So I look at my son, and we locked eyes, and I, let me tell you something, I'm talking snot, crying. <laughs> if you were here earlier, you probably heard, heard us screaming back there. I, mean, I just, I broke. God's doing some awesome, awesome things. Doing some awesome things. And I think where, where I have failed in the past is removing myself from that place of brokenness, from that place of just staying before God. And, and one of the things that he keeps bringing back to me is that to just dwell in his presence, to just dwell. And I'm finding notes from 10 years ago, stashed away in, in books and letters, and, and I'm finding notes that, that like, are speaking to me. They're like notes. I'm just scribbling notes like maybe I was going to preach a sermon or something. I don't know. But that note is speaking to me, and it's saying, you need to learn to dwell. Pursue love. Desire me. Hunger and thirst for me. We're going to jump to Psalms chapter 27. You can turn there. I think it's going to be up here anyway. So if you just want to, I don't want to chill. I don't want to tired of turning pages. That's good. I'm, I'm good with it. Whatever. But Psalms 27, it's a verse that I think you can, just, you can just stand by. And you can just focus on. And you can go in your prayer time and you can start with that. You can start with a, a, a desire. A single, a burning flame. A single ember that just that brings simplicity to it. There's this this thing is is very simple. The simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of what Jesus desires, is very simple. And, and we overcomplicate it with ministry. We overcomplicate it with with life because we are a complicated culture. We like complicated. We like stress. We like Stuff occupying time. We got the more we can do. But God's very simple. He built a garden to just rest in, to just walk with him in, to just spend time with him. That's how he designed it. And when you come to the garden and you just see, see God as somebody who just wants to be in the garden, and then you start just doing stuff with him and operating with him, man, it gets sweet. And David's heart was this, one thing, verse 4, one thing, one thing. He, he was running a country, running a country, fighting battles, protecting his people. He orchestrated the temple of God where it was a place of praise. These psalms and everything you read, these, these, were, these were worship sessions. These were things that were coming out of these, these temple worship and prayer. He had all this going on. He was a very busy man. But it all come down to one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I'll seek, that I may dwell. That I may dwell. He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to just, just behold the beauty of God. 
just to inquire in his temple, just to, just to soak in, just to listen to him, the simplicity of just loving God, just loving God, just loving God, simplified. Simply knowing him, that I may know him. I'll trade everything else. I'll count everything else as loss. I'll chalk that up. Just, God, just give me. Father, I just pray for a resting over this place. God, rest. Rest. God, teach us to rest. Teach us to live. Teach us to dwell. Teach us to abide. Teach us to be okay with the simplicity that's in Christ. Teach us to be okay with the flame that just burns and hungers and thirsts to draw us into relationship. Let us be okay with everything that's lost because of what we gain. God, let us see the end. Let us see the goal. Let us see the prize. Let us see the nature of Christ. Let us experience the love of God. God, let your love be poured out. Let your love be poured out. God, like a fragrance in this place, broken and poured out. God, that your love would become a fragrance in this place. God, stir our hearts. God, draw us into a new place. A new place that's simpler. That's simplified. Where everything else just decreases and you just consume every part of us. Consume us, Lord. Consume us, Lord.